I hope everybody has been met and greeted. Like I always do, if you haven't been greeted, raise your hand so we can make your aisle feel guilty. But I also want to join the other pastors and elders in wishing you a happy new year and God's blessing on you in 2016. Uh, I thought it would be great, just like um, Brother Keith preached last year at the beginning, to have an elder or a pastor begin the year. Uh, and I thought we'd share today, uh, the title of my message is, God has a great plan for every one of you in 2016. God's got a great plan for every one of you in 2016. If you, um, all of us know Romans 8:28. I hope that's a verse that you've memorized. If not, you should do it. We know that God causes all things to work together for good, not for everybody in the universe. The rest of everything, we think that God works things together for good for everybody. But for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. So if you love God and you sincerely believe to the best of your knowledge you are called according to His purpose, you're living in the center of His life, God calls all things to work together so it's good. So I praise God for that and hopefully today we'll reflect a little bit on that. I have just got back from spending two weeks uh, in my home country, India. And it was a wonderful time for a couple of personal reasons and also my own opportunity to reflect spiritually. Uh, my dad turned 76 a few weeks ago, uh, which I am grateful for that God gives life. I tell my grandchildren after the age of 70 every year, because the Bible says, you know, we're all given three scores plus 10, 70, maybe 80 years uh, to live. And then after that, you know, the God, everything's a day of grace. So. And then over the Christmas holiday, my mom turned 73, uh, which is also, and my mom's really, you all have met my dad, but my mom's really my hero. Uh, not to say I don't love my dad, but, uh, but my mom's my hero for a couple of reasons. One is um, she has lived a life of service um, from her 20s. She served in a, a leprosy mission hospital. She's a very gifted doctor, but she chose to serve rather than build her career. Um, and she served in a leprosy mission hospital. I saw her through her, all of my growing up years, of course, all the way now to her 70s serving. And you know, when you see, um, it's, it's, you know, fo folks can have success as an individual, but your life really becomes of significance more than success when you serve. And when you see uh, older people, we have many um, in this body of Christ too, that have served and served. Um, those who've lived their life for themselves, as they get older, you see them, their life becomes more and more empty. But those who've served, it's like their life becomes more and more radiant in glory. And I know there's many here in our congregation too, who as they've gotten older, you can see the glory in them. I encourage you, it's just a tremendous blessing to be around people who live their life for service. But it's also for me uh, a tremendous opportunity when we live in, in the Silicon Valley that's sort of a, you know, a distortion, a bubble, so to speak, in terms of a lot of the things, I often think that the first world suffers, suffers from a lot of the malaise of, um, you know, challenges that we, we're focused on ourselves. Often you see the world here focused on money, focused on convenience. Uh, when you go to a developing country uh, like India or China or Africa or Latin America, and you see the simplicity with which believers and Christians cling on to Jesus, uh, it's a tremendous, a tremendous, tremendous um, inspiration for me. It sets me back my roots. I, when I was 18, 
Um, I left home to go to college. I was on a scholarship. I came to the U.S. And um, at that age, as many of you know, it's 17 years old, I wanted to get as far away as I could from Zach Poonin, okay? Uh, not because I didn't like my dad, but I just did not want to live under that shadow or the pressure uh, of being a preacher's kid. But I find as I get older, I kind of want get to back, get back to those roots. Uh, and uh, whether you're born in a preacher's kid family or not, none of us can ride on the coattails of our parents. We all have to go through that eye of the needle ourselves. Um, but it's for me a tremendous, a couple of brothers have also joined me in Bangalore, uh, the church in India there, several of you have visited them, uh, they say, send their greetings, my dad sends their greetings, and it's a tremendous joy uh, to get refreshed and come back, um, and um, you know, here we are, 2016, so-called leap year, and you know, the notion of January 1st to December 31st is not something God created, it's man created the calendar. God created the earth to move around the sun. For the longest time, people thought the sun moved around the earth, but we all know now the earth moves around the sun. But the notion of January 1st to December 31st is a, a, a man creation. Uh, but despite that, it's a good opportunity for us to reflect, um, you know, on what the Lord has done, what the Lord can do. Because uh, in, in, in God's calendar, there's only two days that matter. There's today and that day. Say that again. There's today and that day. Why today? Because God says, if you've sinned, if you've got baggage, anything of the past, repent of it, forget it. Your sins will not be forgiven anymore. He also says, don't worry, be anxious about tomorrow. But of course, ensure that your eternal destiny is certain on that day. So when you live without the anxiety of tomorrow, without the burden and baggage of yesterday, but with a certainty that your eternity is in, in complete control for that day um, as a Christian believer. That's the, the two important aspects. So I pray that every one of us will take seriously these events that happen at the beginning of the year, end of the year. You know, people have these things we all know called New Year's resolutions. Typically they last maybe a few days, a few weeks, you know, um, I try to keep, have my own new resolution. Maybe it's the human ones, keep losing weight, maybe restricting my diet. Maybe I'll get, do good till January 15th, maybe February 1st. Usually those resolutions become resignations by, by some point in January, February. Maybe some of you do better and get. But I hope our spiritual resolutions, okay, can last beyond just the first few days and weeks. And that's really what my message today is, to encourage every one of us, challenge myself, uh, so that as we think about the calendar of today and all that's left for our days, it's not guaranteed that we will see the end of this year. I've had friends of mine, I'm in my 40s, um, who have died of a heart attack uh, in their 40s. We know folks who have not lived to see the end of 2015. I also believe if you think about a lot of the signs of the times, we're probably in the end times. We don't know when the time of, of Christ's return is. People thought the time of Jesus' return was soon in the first century. And they acted and they lived with a sense of urgency. Uh, but certainly I believe, and I told my dad when I left him uh, a, few, a week ago, um, I hope that we will both go to eternity together. But if the Lord tarries another 5, 10, 20 years, even if it's beyond 2016, I pray that every one of our days we will live uh, for Jesus, because that's, that's the only thing that counts. Amen? Yeah. 
So when we think about um, how we live our life, it's always good as we begin the year to think about the types of things that we want to challenge ourselves with. I have two things that I want to talk about that often are giants in people's lives. Giants. And then two things and ways by which the Lord can redeem us from those giants. Um, and I'm praying that, that the victory that the Lord wanted the Israelites to have, if you think about the story of the Israelites as they came out of the land of Egypt, and only two out of those twelve had the faith to conquer the giants. And these are just two examples of many giants we might battle. Um, that the Lord will give us faith in that victory through some very, very practical things that we'll share today. The first one is a giant that often starts off as a small, maybe midget or a minion, whatever small kind of amoeba um, in children called fear. And um, if you think about a, a young little child, you know, our boys, are, our twin boys are now turning five, they're five, six, they, they, you know, as kids, people are scared of the dark. Maybe they're scared about these things called ghosts and then the fears become bigger and bigger. And as we think about the world today, a significant part of the world is gripped by fear, whether it's the Paris attacks, whether it's San Bernardino, everything that's happening around the debate of gun control is fear. And, you know, the, the Bible says in the last days fear will grip the earth. Um, but, you know, the Bible is also clear about two words that are mentioned the most often of any command. Anybody know what they are? Fear not. In fact, um, I was reading this week and somebody said that uh, there's actually 366 mentions of the word, word fear not. And I opened my Bible, I opened my concordance, I stretched every you know, synonym of fear, maybe don't be dismayed, I could, only could find 314, but maybe they're rounded up to 366, okay, if you would. Imagine that your journal, your daily journal, every day that you opened up, you saw this big word, two words from God saying, fear not. January 1st, January 2nd, January 15th, February 1st. It is the two words that God wants us to have as a firm bedrock to our lives. So that no fear, it could start off as a young child, as, as a fear of the dark, but it becomes any other kind of fear. Fears that become giants ultimately lead to things like depression. Things that, and there are reasons, there are medical related depression that if you are struggling with, uh, you need to get help for. But if it's something that the devil has heaped on top of you, it's a giant that I want you to have faith that this year can be a year that the Lord helps you overcome your fears and overcome anything that's a giant. And as you think about anything that becomes bigger and bigger and bigger, we have to have that faith. Um, that can help conquer every one of those giants. Um, as you think about these fears um, in your life, one way um, you can think about them is in the pictures that um, I want to share with you of a wonderful book um, that was written in a, about you know, 500 years ago by John Bunyan called Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, I wonder, any of you read the book Pilgrim's Progress? Usually some of the older generation have, for those of us who are younger, um, in your 20s and 30s perhaps you haven't. I'd encourage every one of you, one of the things our Bible study does uh, during the summer months as we pick up that book uh, and read it. And I want to just share a few illustrations. John Bunyan was an amazing man in I think the 1400s or 1500s. 
Um, he preached like no, no other preacher in England, and he was imprisoned because he wasn't an ordained minister. And the Church of England said, because you're not ordained, you're not allowed to preach. He said, no, God's given me a word, I'm going to preach. So he was imprisoned. Uh, he went to prison maybe for a week or a month, and he came out and he preached again, he was put in prison. I think in his entire life he was in prison for about 10 years, for doing nothing wrong other than preaching. But in this prison time, he wrote this story about a man named Pilgrim. And Pilgrim um, started off in this city called the City of Destruction. Okay, and if you bring up the first uh, chart here, you'll see a picture of, of Pilgrim. Uh, and here he is carrying this enormous weight on his back. It's a picture of all the baggage. Certainly it's just a picture of the weight of sin. But anything in your life that might be something that's become this big... Um, uh, aspect of a burden on your back. He, start, he starts off in the city of destruction and he goes through the narrow gate, a picture of how God wants to take us through that narrow gate. And then at this symbolic point that we all know, in the next chart, he lands at the cross. Uh, and at the cross, you can see that burden of his falls and rolls away. It's a picture of how uh, when we cling onto that cross, just like the words of that wonderful song, Rock of Ages, uh, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Um, the, the promise that we can hold on uh, in any aspect of our burdens that we carry uh, or the baggage is that God can completely redeem, of, redeem us. We have to pray for that faith um, as we think about the cross. But as they go along further, he's actually joined a little later on in his journey with a, a man named Hopeful. And his, his entire journey through the Christian walk includes places where he's tempted to take um, shortcuts. And one of the places is a place where Hopeful and him are struggling with depression. And he falls into the captives um, of this giant, you see in the next chart, named Giant Discouragement, Giant Despair. Uh, and Giant Despair, if you bring it up here, takes control of these two men. Here's Christian, much later on in his walk, he's fitted with, the, uh, with the, the, the armor of God. And giant despair comes in, takes a hold of him, and we'll run through the next few charts. You can see the pictures here. Puts him in prison, um, bounds him up for days and weeks, comes in with his wife. His, I think his wife's name in the book is called Diffidence. All of the, the characters are allegorical examples, and beats them up with a club. Uh, completely demoralizes them. It's a picture of discouragement and depression that can become a giant in our life. Uh, when that fails, he says, listen, take a, a knife or a poison or a rope and hang yourself. Sadly, a picture often today of suicide um, that affects so much. And then he takes them out to a valley of bones, with skulls, where he talks about all the people who've given up their lives. And here they are, days and weeks, and they're struggling in this castle. And they're praying on a Saturday evening for redemption from this, uh, from this, this, uh, this, this horrible giant. And as they're praying, they remember, uh, Christian remembers, inside his coat is this wonderful promise, the promise of hope, the Word of God. Any Word of God is a promise that we can hold on to. And it's a magical key that can open any door in that, gi in that giant's castle. And he begins to open the first door. The second door creaks a little bit, and the giant and his wife wakes up, and they run out through the last door, and as they're running, they see the giant behind them. 
But here's the amazing promise of every giant that you are struggling with. In the story, and it's the same thing that the Lord can defeat every giant. The knees of the giant buckle, he gets an epileptic uh, seizure fit, and uh, the two Christians escape from that castle. So it's a tremendous story. This picture was something I saw as a kid, and it's never left my head. These same screens, these are uh, pictures from a slideshow that I took that I saw as a 10-year-old, and I was able to get them back off the internet, and um, it's, it's fantastic. For those of you who are young, to anyone who's in their old age, if you are struggling with anything that has to do with fear or depression, and you feel it's a giant in your life, God's promise for you is the joy of the Lord can be your strength. You can be anointed. Certainly if it's a medical condition that you need to be treated, that's understandable. But there's no reason for a child of God to live in fear, to live in depression. We have to run to the daddy's lap, the father's lap, and say, Lord, you are in control of everything. And then claim scripture. There's lots of scripture that we can talk about. We'll talk about a few today. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, we know that. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be known of God. First Peter 5, verse 7. Casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Psalm 42, verse 5. We used to sing this song in Abundant Life. Why so downcast, O my soul? Put your trust in God. And bless the Lord, O my soul. The only thing we should fear is the fear of God. Proverbs 1, 7 says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So I say to you, brothers and sisters, I hope that every day this week, uh, this year, and all the years the Lord gives us, our journal would open up with this verse, fear not, fear not, fear not. Lay a hold of these promises. Uh, there was a man of God in the 1900s named J.N. Darby, a wonderful man of God, who um, had a sermon series that he ran over a week. And the title of the sermon series was, You Must Be Born Again. So people came to the sermon series the first day, and he preached about, you must be born again. And then he came, the second day people came, in, and the title series was again, you must be born again. The third day, the fourth day, by the fourth day, somebody came up to him and said, listen, why are you talking about the same thing over and over again? You must be born again. And you know what Jane Darby said? Because you must be born again. <laughs> so when you see the, the pages of your journal saying, fear not, fear not, fear not, and by the 150th day, you ask the Lord, why are you saying? Because the Lord's saying, fear not. And that's exactly what... And the way in which we can take this scripture, the opposite of fear is faith. And God's word is a shield of faith. We've got to hold on to those scriptures. Every, every one of them. Um, and holding on to the scripture keeps us in a place where we are more than conquerors. There's so many. I've read a few of these scriptures, but there's scripture after scripture. Romans 8, 37, verse 30 and 38. We are no, we are more than conquerors um, through him who's loved us. Micah 7, 8. If you fall, here's what you can pray. Do not rejoice over me, my enemy. Though I fall, I will rise. And this is the verse that I chose as a theme for this. I paraphrased it. A wonderful verse. When, jo when, when Joshua was, Joshua 1, verse 8 and 9, Moses had died, and he was fearful about entering the land of Canaan. If I paraphrased this, this is a paraphrase from the Message Bible of Joshua 1, verse 8 and 9. Don't for one minute let the word of God be out of your mind. Ponder and meditate on it day and night. 
making sure you practice everything written in it. Then you'll get where you're going and then you'll succeed. Haven't I commanded you? Strength, courage, fear not. Don't get discouraged. Our God, your God, is with you every step you take. And it's really important that, that meditation becomes something that not become, not just, is not just part of our own fabric, but it's something that we teach our family, we teach our children. One of the things that has so inspired me about not just Safari Kids, but VBS and so on, is the teaching of God words, God's Word to young children. I was so inspired a couple of years ago, I think it was a year and a half ago, my daughter went to VBS and she came back reciting Ephesians 6 in a very, very visual way. Okay? Uh, my wife was so inspired, she got her in front of the house and uh, we recorded this. I actually, can we play the video? This is my little daughter Sophia um, reciting Ephesians 6. If we can play the video. Amen. Amen. My favorite part of that is my favorite part of that is the gospel of peace. Okay? Hand signs and be alert. Be alert. That was taken a year and a half ago and I uh, I, uh, I, I hope she's not embarrassed by because she'll watch the video of this. But nonetheless, faith comes by hearing. Right? Faith is the opposite of fear. And it says faith comes by fearing, hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the Word of God, as we heard in that video, is the faith is a shield. So we think about everything that's attacking us, that's causing us to be afraid, or the fear that becomes bigger and bigger as a giant becomes depression. I want you to lay a hold of any number of these promises. You know, the promises of the Word of God are like blessings that you can cash in. Imagine if you get to your 60s or 70s or 80s, and someone on your deathbed tells you, you had a million dollar check that was sitting in your drawer or was sitting in your closet and you think to yourself, wow, why didn't I know about that? I wish I'd known about it or okay, maybe you say I'll give it away at the end of your life. So often, this is what the Word of God, it's a million dollar check. It's more worth a lot more than a million dollars, I'll tell you that. A million dollars you will leave back here. But the blessings of God are ones that you can claim. Sadly, so many Christians don't claim them. They live with the giants uh, but, uh, holding control over them 
and they have not claimed the victory that God has for them, and they're more than conquerors. So I encourage you, every brother and sister here, if you're battling with fear or depression, claim the shield of faith. And God wants to take you into a whole new area of boldness in 2016. Amen. The second, the second aspect of what I want to talk about is another giant that often can plague so many Christians. It starts off amazingly again, just like kids. It starts off at a young age. It's the spirit of grumbling and complaining. Right? There are many giants we can talk about. I want to focus just on two um, that the Lord can redeem us from. You know, I've got three, three kids, uh, a daughter and two children, and you know, we, we got them in the back seat of the car, and invariably as they get older, everything is a debate and you know, grumbling and complaining. I look at my wife, you know, where do they get that from? And we look at each other and says, probably from us, you know, our Adamic nature. Uh, so children learn to grumble and complain at an early age, and it gets worse and worse and worse, and you see these folks who live their entire life grumbling and complaining as they get close to their deathbed they're bitter people they're morose nobody wants to be around a whiner or a grumbling complainer right have you heard the description drip 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 you know i mean nagging people nobody wants to be around them but that's the world we live in complained about this complained about this and often it's right after something the lord has done for us that we've extremely happy about take the israelites we know the story they came out of the land of Israel. Think about the fact that they were slaves in Israel, um, treated like second or third class citizens, tortured many cases. And here, through the plagues and all that happened, Moses and Aaron, Miriam, lead them through the Red Sea. Barely, as we know the story in Exodus and Numbers, barely had they come out. And at the end of the, the parting of the Red Sea, Moses has this incredible song uh, that we read about um, in Exodus. And you know what happens right after the song is ended? What's the very next story? The Israelites are complaining that the water is not sweet enough. The very next story. Here they've come right out of the, 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 the Egypt situation. And the very next thing is complaint. And then again and again and again, you see complaint after complaint. Lord, we don't like this manna. It's not good enough. We want the meat. Take us back to Egypt because we had meat there. Complaint, complaint, complaint. God, ultimately, the, the complaints became so uh, bitter that the Lord, when it came to the time where he wanted to take them into Canaan, he sent 12 spies in, as we know, 12 spies to survey the land. And these were the best 12 out of the 3 million people that were wandering in the wilderness. The best 12. And even out of those best 12, 10 of them said, no faith. Those giants, we look like grasshoppers compared to them. No way we can do it. And two of them, Joshua and Caleb, and the Lord God was so upset that he said, every one of you above the age of 20 is not entering the land of Canaan. And as we know, a significant part of the uh, Israelite population during that time died wandering for 40 years in that Sinai Peninsula. They missed out on the promise that God could have had to enter the Canaan. Joshua, Caleb, and all those who were below 20, an entire generation escape that. So often the spirit of, of, of grumbling and complaining becomes something that ultimately, again, just like a small amoeba, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It becomes ultimately dissent, dispute. It becomes the, um, you know, the, the thing that wrecks up relationships, marriages. It becomes the spirits of rebellion between children and their parents, between students and their teachers. 
sadly, between employees and managers, and sometimes it even affects um, brothers and sisters in the church. So we have to, again, the same way that the Lord says, uh, conquer all these giants, lay a hold of the ways in which God can redeem us from these giants here. The joy of the Lord is my strength, Psalm 28, 7. And lay a hold of 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. And much of it could also be because of our circumstances. I love this verse in Philippians 4, 12, where Paul says, I know how to get along with humble means. I know how to live. The Lord gives me prosperity. I know the Lord gives me little. I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of abundance and having need. He learned contentment. So as you think about all of these giants, whether it's fear, whether it's the spirit of grumbling and complaining, we talked about how God can help us battle fear with, with the overcoming spirit of faith. What I want to challenge every one of you if you're struggling with that nagging aspect of complaining, to ask yourself how the Lord can give you an attitude of gratitude and claim onto that promise um, for this year. There's a wonderful story in 1 Samuel uh, 4 through 7 about uh, the Israelites. And as they were going through the spirit where the Philistines were beating them again and again and again and again and again, they decided to take the ark of God out um, and hope that the ark of God would actually perhaps help them in their battles. So they took the ark of God and the Philistines said, great, let's capture the ark. They took the, the, the Philistines, captured the ark and took it into their temple. In fact, God cursed the Philistines because of that. And the story goes that their God named Dagon fell flat in his head and they returned, the Philistines returned the ark back to the Israelites. And that was such a wake-up call for the Israelites Samuel came in and he said, this should be a wake-up call to, to every one of you. And they'd gather around the ark, they'd worship God, and then they'd go into battle and they'd defeat the Philistines. They'd come back the next day, they'd gather around the ark, they'd worship, they'd go into battle and defeat the Philistines. This happened for days and weeks. And it was probably a period of incredible victory, incredible victory for the Israelites that Samuel, at the end of that period, told all the people, let's gather and let's call this place Ebenezer. In fact, for those of you who love that song, Come Thou Fount, um, there's a wonderful line there that says, Here I raise my Ebenezer. And uh, Samuel planted a rock, okay, a rock, and he said, We're going to write on this rock, and we'll call this place Ebenezer. So I created my 21st century version of a rock. It's a piece of thermocol, okay which has the words raise and Ebenezer, because there's so much that we can be thankful for as we think about 2015 or 2014 or 2013 or every year the Lord's given us a life. Do we have many Ebenezers that we can be grateful for, church? There is so much. And that's how we, we destroy the, the giant of, of grumbling and complaining. We counter that giant with, a, with an Ebenezer in our life, with many Ebenezers in our life. I shared this um, a couple of weeks ago. This happened to me 20 years ago. I was driving back home. I was in my 20s. Fell asleep at the wheel for just a couple of seconds. And the next thing I know, fortunately it wasn't the freeway. It was just one of the back roads going back to my home. Uh, I was living with a couple of other roommates in Sunnyvale. 
went off the road and uh, hit a telephone pole. And um, I have a couple of pictures of what my car looked like. This was me in my 20s. Um, the, the, the passenger side completely wrecked. I think the next chart, uh, next picture has a little close-in of that spot. That was my Honda Civic, my wonderful hatchback Honda Civic. Uh, and then, but the amazing thing was God put a sort of a circle, a circumference right around the driver's seat. Okay, that was completely protected. I ended, I ended up losing consciousness, went to the ER room, but I was completely okay. It turned out I'd fractured my leg, but that was it. But that was my Ebenezer 20 years ago. I stared life at their death in the face, and God saved me because He had a plan for me more, to be more than 25 years old. And every year of my life, I praise God there's an Ebenezer that I can be thankful for. Are we thankful? There are brothers and sisters here in this church. Three of our seven elders have battled, and God has rebuked cancer in their life. Is that an Ebenezer? Amen. Sister Diane Bridges. Had a car accident, was probably just as bad. I know she's here in the room. That's an Ebenezer sister. There are so many Ebenezers. Two years ago, and maybe six years ago, people thought this church would collapse. That's an Ebenezer, because the body of Christ is never, ever going to collapse. And you have probably a number of Ebenezers in your life that you should be grateful for. And when you counter with all that comes up in your flesh, um, that tempts you to be grumbling and complaining, I hope you'll keep this picture and any Ebenezer that you can mark as a milestone, as a, um, a place where you can remember, Lord, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for all that you've done. I don't deserve to be alive today. I don't deserve all the, the, the grace. I didn't choose the family that I was born into. That's completely yours. I didn't choose the circumstances of these brothers and sisters to have fellowship with. That's yours. I haven't chosen you haven't, anything in my circumstances. Uh, and the Lord can build up uh, into you an attitude of gratitude. So I pray that as we think about 2016, that is the spirit. If you have a, a giant of fear, I pray the Lord will give you all the faith you need to conquer that giant. Don't let your life be like those ten spies who walked away and felt like they were the grasshoppers. Look at the giants and say they are the grasshoppers. And if you are uh, uh, battling a, a giant of grumbling and complaining, um, you know, lay a hold of an attitude of gratitude. And the Lord can make that true uh, in your life. What I wanted to end with before we, we sing a song is a wonderful um, you know, poem, it's sort of a poet, poetic description uh, that a, a pastor in uh, San Diego, he died 20, 10, 20 years ago, but many of you have heard of him. He was an African-American pastor at Calvary Baptist in San Diego named Pastor Lockridge. And he um, wrote these words uh, about how every one of us can trust him. I will do him complete poetic injustice by reading his. He'll probably roll over in his grave. Uh, but I'm going to try to. Okay? And it's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful inspirational aspect of how every one of us will listen in. Church, you can trust him. He's the one who's made you. He's the one who's made us. No means or measure can define his limitless love. And no far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoreless supply. No barrier can hinder him pouring out his blessing, his enduring strength, and his is entirely secure. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. And he's impartially merciful. 
He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's the sinner savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. He's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. He's the miracle of this age. He's the superlative of everything good you can call him. Abundant life. Do you believe you can trust him? He can satisfy all your needs. He can do it simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted. He sympathizes. He sees. He guards. He guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the leper. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent. He beautifies the meek. Church, are you with me? Can you trust him? He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. He's the master of the mighty. He's the captain of the conquerors. He's the head of heroes. He's the leader of legislators. He's the overseer of overcomers. He's the governor of governors. He's the prince of princes. And he's the king of kings and lord of lords. Do you believe that, church? His office is manifold. I'm not done. He's not done. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. I wish I could describe to him, describe him to you, but he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's irresistible. He's invincible. You can't get him off your hands. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't outlive him. You can't live without him. Pilate couldn't stand it when he found that he couldn't stop him. And Pilate couldn't finally fault him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. And Herod couldn't kill him. And death couldn't handle him. And thank God, the grave couldn't hold him. There was nobody before him. There, was, there will be nobody after him. He can have no predecessor. And he'll have no successor. He's yesterday, today, and forever. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. That is the God we serve. So I pray... That every one of the, the giants, whether it's fear, whether it's grumbling or complaining, you can name every one of them. Lay a hold and say, Lord, 2016 is the year in which you're going to demolish those giants. Through faith that every giant of fear will be destroyed. Through a spirit of joy that can anoint you. It says in Hebrews 1 verse 8, the oil of gladness anointed. Jesus, anointed Jesus, and if we're all his children, every one of us can be anointed with the oil of gladness, so the spirit of complaining can be completely rid from us, from our own lives, from our families, from our children, and everyone around us. Um, let's pray. Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the fact that you've given us one more year to live one more day, one more week, one more month. We don't know the days of our life. We know that our life is like a vapor. We don't know how many days you've called for us. We don't know when your coming is. We believe it's soon. But I pray, Lord, if there's any single person here who has not given their life to Jesus, it's not guaranteed we'll see the end of 2016. I pray first off that every soul here their eternal destiny for that day is certain, Lord. First off, that they would meet you as their Savior, young or old, before it's too late. But for those of us who have made a commitment already, that we would 
enter into a, a, a greater walk with you. That we will enter into a new level. We wouldn't be satisfied with the status quo. Shake us out of our stupor, Lord, so that we can walk alive and on fire for you in 2016. That the only thing that matter wouldn't be our intellect or our wallet or anything material. would be following Jesus and being conformed to your image. Build, Lord, a closer fellowship with us and our families. Restore relationships, husband to wife, parent to child, child to parent, co-workers, wherever it might be, brother and sister in this church. Make us a body in a special way, Lord. We believe you've got great things in store for us. You have the best in plan for us in 2016. If we love you and we're called into our purpose, and we want to lay hold of that promise, Lord. I know that you will make this true for every one of us, Lord, because we have faith. We're not asking for material blessing, Lord. We're asking for the fact that you will supply every need. Every need, Lord. The most important need we have is a spiritual need. To be filled with the Holy Spirit so we can live more than conquerors. I pray for every brother and sister here for this church that you will guide us, Lord, in every aspect. We know the best days are yet ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.